We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. All right, everybody, good morning. Uh, how was Christmas? That's good. Um, well, I'm glad you're here uh, today. The student pastor's preaching, all right? So get ready. Um, who knows what's going to happen? No, it'll be good. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to speak with you this morning and open God's Word. I feel like God has given me a word to share, and so I'm, I'm excited to share what God's been doing in my heart uh, with you. And uh, this is also the kids' service. So we have some kids in here, so welcome. This is just really big kids and little kids all together. We're just all kids, really, at heart. So uh, it'll be great. And um, so uh, today, I want to start off just sharing with you uh, something crazy that I did recently. Uh, I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. I don't know if it's a student pastor thing, but I've done crazy things such as eat the smelliest fish on the planet all the way from Sweden. Uh, I've eaten the hottest peppers on the planet, and it was miserable. Um, I've, the, true story, I even got tased willingly, and um, that was awful. But something that, that's even crazier than that is I recently decided to go with my family and go 19,000 feet in the air and jump out of a perfectly good airplane. I went skydiving, okay? Uh, anybody ever go skydiving in here? Okay, all right, I'm the only crazy one. Oh, there we go, man, thank you. All right, so I went skydiving, and so this is um, the, how the experience worked, and of course, I've been looking forward to this my entire life, and finally go uh, skydiving with, it all, with uh, all the people I'd go with, I'd go with my family, and we, this is something that we would never do, so, but we did it. And uh, this is a picture of my family uh, that went, and so my mother-in-law, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, other brother-in-law, uh, my wife set this one out to watch our son, of course. Um, and so uh, the experience, it worked a lot like this. We uh, walked into this place, we signed uh, all this paperwork and basically signed our life away and then paid them a ton of money. And then we went to another room all together and we watched this guy with a very long gray beard tell us uh, all those things uh, vocally, how um, it's dangerous and you're really at risk and you can't sue us. And then we went to this big hangar, we put on some blue suits, as you can see, and then um, we, we meet our, our tandem jumper, so you, can only, you can't jump by yourself the first few jumps when you're skydiving, which I am completely for that. And so I, uh, you know, I'm a large guy, I'm a big guy, I'm six foot four, weigh 235, and there's a weight limit that you have to meet when you skydive. Well, I'm closer than I would like, okay? So to help balance this out, I didn't know this, but uh, they, they had to balance out the weight. So I got a really small guy with me. He's 5'7", and you know, weighs way less than I do to help kind of balance everything. And so this is him. Um, I can't remember his name, but his name, we'll just call him Ruby. And uh, of course, he's about as crazy as he looks there. Um, great guy. Actually, we had a ton of fun. But uh, I, I have to wear him as a backpack <laughs> while he wears the parachute. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting. So uh, 
we meet our guy, and, and all, all, of, all of us have a person, and then we get on this airplane that comes by. We wait our turn. We get, get in the airplane, and we're squished into this airplane like sardines. I mean, they fit a ton of us in this small airplane, and we're all squished in, and then we get to 19,000 feet in the air, and uh, that's, our, that's our moment to start jumping. And so I start so, see people jumping out of the plane. I mean, they just like, it's like fast, okay? And so I grab, you know, my guy on my back, and I have to waddle like this to the door very awkwardly. Uh, and then you get to the door, and you one, two, three, and you just, you know, zoom out of there. And it is the coolest thing for like 10 seconds. You're looking in the air, and it's so fun, and you're falling, and then you flip over, and the wind hits your, your body and your face like 70 miles per hour. I mean, it is intense. And then you get to 6,000 feet. There's this thing on your, your, your wrist that says you're at 6,000 feet. And then in my job, my one job, outside of carrying my guy, is to pull this tennis ball on this guy's parachute and pull it at 6,000 feet. So I do it, and then we just get jerked in the air, and it hurts like crazy. And then, uh, you know, he decides to guide the, the parachute, and he lets me participate because he thinks I'll have fun, and we're going in and out of the clouds, and I get motion sickness, and I'm trying to be tough because, you know, I'm trying to be tough because I don't want him to judge me. And then we, like, go down, and I had one request. All this happens in minutes, like five minutes, and then we, we get to the ground, and I have one request that I ask the guys, like, hey, if at all possible, can we land on our feet? Because I was watching these other jumpers come down and land on their feet. Everyone seemed like they could land on their feet, so I thought, you know, can you just help me, help me land on my feet? I just recently bruised my tailbone, and so this would be great. And so, uh, you know, we get closer to the ground. I, out of everybody in my family, I am the one person that slides butt down on the rocks <laughs> in our landing, all right? And it was a great experience. I loved it. I would never do it again. Um, so uh, now I'm sure all of you want to go skydiving now. But the reason why I share that is because today we're talking about faith, and that, I mean, it took a crazy amount of faith to go skydiving. It took faith to trust whoever packed my parachute. I didn't know who that was, didn't see it being packed. I had faith in my boy Ruby here to, that he wasn't a psycho that was going to kill me. I had faith that the pilot was sane and knew what he was doing to fly the plane. I had faith that the plane was all, all up to date in its maintenance requests. I had faith uh, that when we got in the air, the plane was going to work properly, and I wasn't going to hit my head on the, the wing of the plane when I jumped out. I had faith to jump out of the plane. I had faith that that parachute was going to pull at the right moment and that it was going to work fine. I had faith that I was going to have a smooth landing. I guess it was, yeah, it was smooth. It was smooth. But I had faith. I had a lot of faith in that process. And you may think you are so crazy for going skydiving, and you may be right. Uh, it doesn't look like a whole lot of you have been, been doing that. But we have a, a crazy faith every single day. Uh, how many of you traveled for the holidays? Okay. How many of you traveled by plane for the holidays? All right, a few of you. So you had faith in that plane. You had faith in the pilot. You had a lot of faith there. How many of you traveled uh, in your car long distances? Okay, more than 10 hours, anybody? Miles Adams and the Adams family is here. I'm so excited to see you guys here. Um, so they had faith. You had faith when you got in your car that the brakes were going to work. You had a lot of faith in that process. Even here today, you had faith when you walked in this room, when you sat down in your chair. You didn't inspect it. You didn't make sure everything was working properly. You just simply sat down in your chair and had faith that it was going to hold you up. And thank goodness it did, right? You had faith. And so as I was praying about what to speak about today, this Todd told me a couple months ago, you, you can speak on anything. And I, start, I started really praying, like, what, God, what do you want me to talk about? And he kept laying the word faith 
on my heart, and specifically what genuine biblical faith is. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and I really have three prayers for us this morning. One is that everyone in this room would walk out of here knowing what true, genuine, biblical faith looks like. And then two, if you don't have genuine faith after this message that you would give your life to Christ, that you would put your faith in Jesus today. And if you do have genuine faith, that you would live with greater faith, that you'd be encouraged to live with greater faith and, and really have a prayer that uh, much of the disciples in Luke 17, 5, they pray to the Lord to increase their faith. And so those are my three prayers for this morning. And so um, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be in two main passages of scriptures, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and then James 2, 14 through 19. So you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. And we're going to jump in and just generically start talking about what is faith? What is faith? So let's read Hebrews 11, 1, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old receive the commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So looking at that verse, this is how we're going to define faith. Faith is, the definition is trusting in something we cannot explicitly prove. Trusting in something we cannot explicitly prove. And the formula to help piece this together is intellectual agreement plus trust equals faith. So intellectual agreement. This is, yeah, I believe that to be true. I believe that God spoke everything into existence. I believe that he's the one that created everything, uh, that he is the one behind uh, all of this. And it's, it's, I believe that the earth is just too finely tuned for it to be an accident. I believe God has his hand all over this and that not only did he create this, but I believe that uh, there's a purpose behind his creation. I believe in Jesus. I believe uh, in what he done on the cross. I believe all of these things, okay? Intellectual agreement, I, I believe that to be true. And then, plus trust. So, action. Your behavior will always reflect that which what you believe. So, not just intellectually, but also trust. It's an, it's an action. And to help illustrate this, I want to tell you about a guy named Blondine. Everybody say Blondine. It's, not a, it's an unusual name. You can name your kid that if you want to. Um, so Blondine was this tightrope walker that came all the way from Paris, and he came to the United States to tightrope walk, which is just walking on a very tight rope across dangerous um, terrain. And so he came, and uh, over um, Niagara Falls, he was going to walk from the United States into Canada. And so there's this huge crowd that gathers around to see this guy walk on this tightrope. And so they're all excited to see this guy do this you know, incredible spectacle. And so he uh, has fun with the audience, and he asks everybody, how many do you believe that I can walk on this tightrope there and back? And everybody says, yeah, we believe in you, Blondine. Sure, go do it. So he walks there and back on this tightrope, and everyone starts going crazy. Like, they can't believe what they're seeing. He says, how many of you believe that I can put a blindfold on and walk across this tightrope there and back? And they're like, we believe in you, Blondine. You can do this. We just saw you. So he does it. He walks there and back, and they're going crazy. And then he says, how many of you believe, this is what this legend has it, that I can take this oven, walk across this tightrope, and cook an egg and eat the egg on the tightrope? And they're like, all right, we believe in you, Blondine. Go for it. So he does it, 
And like they're going crazy. He literally fries this egg, then eats the egg, and then comes back. Then he has a little more fun with it. He says, how many of you think I can go on the tightrope, take this jar with the rope on it, drink, like drop it all the way down into Niagara Falls, pull it back up and drink water out of it? They're like, yes, we believe in you, Blondine. You can do this. So he does it, and then he goes back, and he just t- takes it a step further. And he says, how many of you think I can take this wheelbarrow, walk across this tightrope, and back? And they're like, we believe you. We believe in you, Blondine. So he does it, and then he goes back, and he says, okay, how many of you believe that a person uh, that I can put a person in this wheelbarrow, walk across and back. And they're like, we believe in you, Blondine. And he says, which of you will get in this wheelbarrow? <laughs> and it is silence. Like, no one's getting in that thing. Uh, so you see, faith is an action. We can't just say we believe something without our actions following. Faith is trusting. It is an action. And this is so true for us because we'll say, uh, we believe in you, Jesus. And he says, go share your faith with your neighbor, with your coworker, I'm like, oh, that's kind of awkward. Uh, I'm more of an introvert. We'll say, I believe in you, Jesus. And he says, now that you put your faith in me, follow through with baptism. And it's like, well, I'm not ready. It's too many people. I'm nervous. We'll say, I believe in you, Jesus. And he says, forgive your enemy. Forgive uh, your neighbor that you've had strife with. And they're like, oh, I'm not going there. No, mm-mm. Uh, I like the cold shoulder thing happening right now. Right? So belief is more than just intellectual agreement. It is trusting and doing that what God has called us to do. Faith is an action. And so if you had to put it all together in a simple definition, what biblical faith is, it is trusting God. Biblical faith is trusting God. And this doesn't mean you have all the answers. Because some of you like to have all the facts, all the answers. you got to know exactly what's going to happen in order for you to have faith in that moment. But it's not faith if you have all the answers. Matter of fact, faith is a lot like turning the lights out in the room and it's dark. You don't know where to go and you're, you're nervous and you're scared. But faith is trusting God that God is going to see you through. He's going to guide you. He's going to take you exactly where you need to go. And it's trusting, although you don't know the future, you know the one that does know the future. That is faith. And so one of the things I love about Hebrews 11 is this is known as the Hall of Faith passage. You have all these heroes of the faith, these incredible men and women of God, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Noah. And I remember uh, my pastor was teaching on one of these guys when I was a senior in high school, and I started feeling this call to ministry. Matter of fact, I knew God was calling me to ministry. And I, I, was, I just had some very strong insecurities and reasons as to why I did not want to go into ministry. Uh, and my, my pastor started teaching on Moses. And you know the story of Moses. Moses, God called him to save the people from Egypt, bring them out to the, to ultimately to the promised land. And he made all these excuses as to why he didn't want to do it. He wasn't qualified. He didn't want to do it. He said, God, choose anybody else. I don't speak good. And ultimately, although he had all these fears and these insecurities, he put his yes on the table and he trusted that God would would use him and guide him through the process, and then God did incredible things in his life. And so when I heard of Moses when I was a senior in high school, um, and I was actually paying attention for once, uh, I, this, this is the two fears that I had going into ministry. First fear, I didn't feel like I was smart enough. I would zone out in Sunday school. I would zone out in the service. I would sleep on the back pew. I just didn't feel like I was adequate enough to go into ministry. The second fear I was deathly afraid of speaking in front of people. And look what I'm doing now, right? That was a huge fear of mine. 
I, there, there's an old saying, um, it goes like this, I, I would rather be the one that is in the casket than the one doing the funeral. That was me, all right? I, I mean, class presentations, mm-mm. Reading a story, like, you know, in class, you read different passages in, in class, and you, like, take a section and read it. I would sweat, red to the face, black out sometimes. I did not want to speak in front of people. And I remember hearing the story of Moses, and the cool thing about faith is that when you see faith, it often encourages others to have greater faith. And it encouraged me because I knew I was making all these excuses to why I wasn't good enough, why I shouldn't do ministry. And then I just realized, okay, this is where faith kicks in. I'm going to trust that you're going to provide everything that I need, even though I'm, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I don't know the future. I'm going to trust and the calling that you placed in my life. And like, he has done immeasurably more than I could ever think or imagine uh, when I said yes that day, when I trusted in who God is. Uh, and by the grace of God, I've been able to lead hundreds of students to Christ. I've been able to teach God's word in front of thousands of students. And now, direct results, I'm here in front of you today, right? God's faithfulness is very true, but it all came to trusting God, biblical faith. And so what I, what I want us to do is, you know, if you, if you grew up in the South, you grew up in cultural Christianity, something that's very healthy for us to do is to evaluate whether we have a genuine faith or if we have uh, a counterfeit faith. It's very important because we live in cultural Christianity where everybody says they're a Christian. And so we're going to see James here in a second is talking to a very similar crowd, a very religious crowd, and he wants them to evaluate whether they have a true, genuine faith or if it's a counterfeit faith. Over the break, uh, we went to Colorado's where my wife is from, and we um, were all hanging out, and my brother-in-law let us in on a little incident that happened recently. Uh, he wanted to buy a wallet for his bride, and in case you don't know, a wallet is different than a purse. Women have a purse, then they have a wallet that goes in the purse. He is looking for the perfect wallet for his bride. And he found it, okay? He just needed to get the right deal, so he spent time looking for the right deal online, and uh, he spent weeks just kind of observing, and then finally he found the perfect deal. He ordered this wallet, very pricey wallet, and um, it came in. He wrapped it all nice, and he gave it to his bride, and she was smiling. He was smiling. Everyone's happy and overjoyed. And then she opens it, and, you know, the smile's still there, but then after a couple of seconds, he hears something that no man wants to hear after buying something like that is, that's a fake. It's a fake. This isn't real. And, of course, uh, he didn't want to hear that, but what happened is she knew what a real purse was, the real, sorry, wallet. She knew what a real wallet was, and after, you know, first glance, it looks like the real deal, but after further inspection, after she evaluated it, it was a fake. The, the alignment was off. The coloring wasn't right. And so it ultimately was not the real thing. It was a counterfeit. And so James, we're going to look at James 2, 14 through 19, and he's helping us do the same thing of like, how can we evaluate whether we have a genuine faith or if it is counterfeit, if it's a fake faith, or, and he uses verbiage as a dead faith. And so we'll be in James 2, 14 through 19. And he says, what good is it my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, it does not have works, 
is dead. So let's pause real quick. Works, we haven't defined this term yet. Works is, the way we're going to define is imperfectly loving God and loving others. It's a life of imperfectly loving God and loving others. And another verbiage that is used when talking about works is fruit. So the, uh, Jesus says that we'll know a tree by its fruit. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So three things I'm going to pull out from this to show you if you have a counterfeit faith or a genuine faith. The first is a counterfeit faith is just lip service. It's just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. Yes, I've been baptized. But there's no desire to grow in God's word. There's no desire to uh, memorize scripture. There's no desire to be around the people of God. And if it is, it's only once or twice a year. There's no desire to serve the church. There's no desire to sit into the teaching of God's word. There's no desire uh, to help those in need that are broken in our community. And if there is a desire to do that, it's for its own self-glorification rather than uh, serving others through the love of God flowing through us. And he uses the illustration of verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? All right, so this is like a single mom that you know is struggling in your community, in this church, in your neighborhood, and you know she's struggling to make ends meet, to provide food for her children, to provide clothing for her children in the, in, the, in, the, in the winter season. And it's like you saying to her, hey, be warm. Go in peace. And James is saying, what good is that? It's useless. It is a useless faith. It's a counterfeit faith. It's just lip service. And then we'll see counterfeit faith is intellectual agreement, but no trust. And we've talked a little bit about this, but James uses demons as an as a illustration here. He said, even the demons believe and they shudder. So they have all this theological knowledge about who God is, but they don't trust him. They don't love him. They don't live their life after him. So if, if you've been in church your entire life and you know a lot about Jesus and you have all these things in your head about who Jesus is, who God is, and you have great theological understanding, but there's no practice, he uses strong language saying that faith is actually like that of a demon. And um, it, this is like missing heaven uh, within 18 inches. There's head knowledge, but there's no, there's no heart. There's not this trust. There's not this belief. So just theologically understanding who God is and who Jesus is is not a real faith. It is counterfeit if there's no action behind what you believe. And then lastly, there's no repentance. There's no growing desire to hate sin, to love the things that God loves, to hate the things that he hates. And ultimately, it is this picture of a fruitless life. There is no fruit happening. If you say you believe in Jesus and there is no change, there is no fruit, then you would have a counterfeit faith. And Charles Spurgeon, a um, big-time pastor back in the day, said this, A tree has been planted out into the ground. Now the source of life to that tree is at the root whether it hath apples on it or not, the apples would not give it life, but the whole of the life of the tree will come from its root. 
But if that tree stands in the orchard, and when the springtime comes, there is no bud. When the summer comes, there is no leafing and no fruit bearing. But the next year and the next, it stands there without bud or blossom or leaf or fruit. You would say it is dead, and you are correct. It is dead. It is not that the leaves could have made it live, but that the absence of the leaves is a proof that it is dead. So too is it with the professor. He, if he hath life, that life must give fruits. If no fruit works, if, ha, if his faith has a root, but if there are no works, then depend upon it. The inference that he is spiritually dead is certainly a correct one. A lot of words, but great truth. If you look at the whole of your life and there is no fruit that is being produced, if you say you believe in Jesus and there is no change, no action that has taken place, there's no love of God and love of God flowing through you, then you can assume that you are not a true believer. You have a counterfeit faith. But on the flip side, you can be encouraged that you have genuine faith if it's not just lip service, but you have a lifestyle of following Jesus, a lifestyle of faith. Your faith affects and bleeds into every part of your life, the way you treat your family, the way you, you interact with your coworkers, the way you live and, and act amongst the community. It affects every part of your life. You have this growing desire to, to spend time with God, this growing desire to memorize scripture. You have this gr- growing desire to be around the people of God to help them sharpen you. You have this growing desire to use your gifts and talents to serve the church. You have your, a growing desire to be under the teaching of God's word. And you have this desire to serve those that are broken in community because you have first been loved by God the Father and his love flows through you to those in need around you, not so that you can get glory, but so that you can give glory to God. So when you see that single mom and she's struggling to meet ends meet, you get food from your grocery pantry if you have to to help provide them for food. If you see them, if you see the lady uh, having a hard time providing clothes for her children, you take clothes if you need to out of your own closet to give them clothing to keep them warm. Because you have first been loved, you love. Because you have first been served, you serve. This is not just lip service, but it's a lifestyle that God is using us for his glory. And then secondly, it's intellectual agreement plus trust. So it's not just understanding a lot about God, but you can, I understand who God is, and I'm growing in my understanding of who he is, but I trust you, Lord. My actions flow from my understanding. So it's not just head knowledge, but it's heart knowledge as well. So you haven't missed heaven by 18 inches, but uh, God has transformed your life. You are now a new creation, not perfect but you're made new. And then second, thirdly, uh, instead of no repentance, is a life full of repentance. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you don't just put your faith in Jesus. You don't just repent when you become a believer. You, repentance is a lifestyle. So every single day we are repenting, right? Because we're fallen and perfect. Pa- fallen and imperfect. If you're fallen and imperfect and you live in this fallen and broken world, yes, you're a new creation, but you're not perfect we still live a life of repentance every single day, and there's this hatred for sin. There's this, this love for the things that God loves, and this is known as sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. You're welcome. That's a theological term. You can walk away knowing something today. Um, so if you uh, had illustrated like this, um, so how many of you are runners here? You like to run on a regular basis? Okay, so imagine that you love running in this room, and you decided to run a marathon. And uh, it's a rugged terrain, so you're not just on plain, solid concrete, but you're out in the woods, and you're running through all these trails, and there's roots, and there's rocks, and there's little dips and crevices that you have to watch out for. So as you're running this race, you've entered this race, and inevitably, you are going to fall and trip and stumble along the way. But you are getting back up and you're running the race, if you fall again, you get back up and you run the race. 
So as you look at the whole of your life, if you can say, okay, I put my faith in Jesus here, and yes, I have stumbled, but I am moving forward to the prize. I can see God at work in my life and the fruit. You are, yes, you fall, but you get back up and you continue the race that God has placed you on. So you can be assured you have a genuine faith. If you can look at your life and say, I see God at work. There is fruit. There are works. I, I, I'm growing in this desire to love God, and God is working through me to those around me. That is genuine faith. What I want to clear up before we come to a close is this. Works do not equal salvation. It's not faith plus works equals salvation, but rather faith in Jesus equals salvation, but it doesn't stay that way. Salvation then equals a life of works, a life of loving God and loving others, a life of fruit. And so this is, this is the gospel. The gospel is we live in a fallen and broken world, and this is, call, this is caused by sin. The wage of sin is death. Not only a physical death, which you can see the brokenness around you. I don't have to convince you that the world is broken. You can just look at it and know, okay, the world is broken. But it also causes spiritual death, which is a separation between us and God. Because God is holy and he's righteous um, and he's also just. Because there's a separation between us and God. But God so loved us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Turn to your neighbor and tell them God loves you. You got to mean it, okay? Okay? God loves you, and he loves you so much that he sacrificed his son to come to earth to live a perfect life, to live a life that you and I could not live. He did the work for us, and then he died to death that we deserve to die on the cross he took on the wrath of God. He took on sin and death so that we didn't have to. And then he conquered sin. He conquered death. He went into the grave. And he rose three days later. That's why billions of people around the world every year celebrate Easter. He resurrected, and now he's reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father right now. And we have faith that God sent his Son. We have faith that he lived a perfect life and did what we could not do. We have faith that he died on the cross, took on the wrath of God, and displayed the greatest act of love in history in that moment. And we have faith that he rose from the grave, conquered death, conquered sin, and we have faith that he is reigning and ruling right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And we have faith in Jesus, and God supernaturally comes into our heart our heart and our life and makes us new and we have a relationship with God and then that love of God that we have experienced flows through us to the broken world around us. He grows us and he uses us for his mission and his purpose around the world and in our community and a life filled with fruit and works. You can't meet the living God and be the same. You are changed. And so here is my challenge and my invitation for those of you who say, I have genuine faith. My invitation to you and my challenge is to continue walking by faith in the works that God has prepared for you. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we, we left for Colorado 
spend time with Caroline's family. And um, my wife has this thing, when we leave the house for more than two days, the house has to be spotless, all right? I mean, clean in everything. Anything and everything has to be clean, washed, dried, folded, everything. And we have a three-and-a-half-year-old son. His name's Caden. And we decided to ask him and invite him to help us clean the house. And he got so excited. So we must be doing something right as parents, all right? And we gave him this task to clean the windows. So we took a paper towel and spread all these chemicals on it and gave it to him. Just kidding. We put water on the paper towel and he cleaned the glass, right? He was having a blast. Now, it actually made our job a lot harder for him to do help us. I had to go back and clean up after him. But in the process, we grew together. He joined in the work that we were doing. And our relationship was strengthened. We were teaching him things. And we had a work for him to do. Our relationship with God is, is very similar. God the Father invites us to work with him in his mission, in his purposes. And although sometimes we may make it harder, he wants that. He invites us in that because in that we get to grow. And the things that God asks us to do are not always easy. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the facts. Sometimes the future, we just, we just don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. But we trust him. That is where biblical faith comes in play. And so the, the invitation is where... Where does God need to grow you in your faith? Where do you need to have greater faith? Where do you need to increase your faith? I pray that in the invitation to him that you would, you would pray that God would reveal that to you. You can come forward and, and have a pastor pray over you to have greater faith. And for those of you in the room and you've heard this and you realize, I don't have genuine faith. My invitation and challenge is be honest. Be honest. Because you know and God knows. And it is a miserable, miserable life to act like someone that you're not, to say you have something that you don't. So a great act of faith for you today, if that's you, is to trust God, to put your faith in Jesus, to come forward to one of the uh, people up front, one of the ministers up front, and just say, I want to trust Jesus today, and let them encourage you. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for uh, just your word. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you so much for sending him on our behalf to do something that we could not do. God, we thank you so much that you've given us the ability to have faith. God, we thank you uh, that we can have a relationship with you through putting, your, putting our faith in Jesus. God, as we see in your word, that we need to evaluate whether we're in the faith or not. God, I pray that everyone in this room would be honest, that we'd evaluate whether we know you or we don't know you. So God, if there's anyone in here that is honest and says, I do not know this living God, God, I pray that today you would wreck their hearts, wreck their lives, and that they would put their faith in you today. So God, we trust you. Let me pray. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 
888-538-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.